2: Welcome to Politics by Faith. I'm Mike Slater. Thank you for being here. I'm very excited for today's show because I'm going to share two of my all-time favorite stories, one from the Bible and one from ancient Rome, which then ties into our founding fathers. This episode's got it all. And all of that ties into more classified documents found at Joe Biden's house. And that is the story of the day. the classified documents that keep popping up in Joe Biden's house. Uh, What's going on here? So I believe that this is a deep state plant, a deep state, such a big word. It's at least the Democratic Party. People who don't want Biden to run for president again. Leading into the midterms, everyone expected Joe Biden and the Democrats to get creamed, and then it would be much less likely that he would run for president again. But the Democrats did historically well, where Barack Obama lost 63 seats to the Republicans in his first midterm. Uh, Joe Biden only lost nine, m- best any president's done in his first term. So he's doing great <laughs> from his perspective. He's better than ever, better than any president ever. So, of course, he's going to run again. So the people who don't want him to run need to push him out nicely. And they can't say, oh, he's senile. He's senile. Because if they, he's, if they say he's senile, then he can't be president today. They can't say, oh, he's senile, but we'll let him finish his term. Let that, that can't work. So they need to push him out, and they want to push him out uh, because he's mishandling classified documents. And Joe Biden could say something like, oh, it's better for me to focus on this issue than running for president again. And everyone moves on. So I'm sure you know something about this, but just real quick. First, they found some classified documents at his think tank at University of Pennsylvania. And of course, everyone's first thoughts were Joe Biden has a think tank. University of Pennsylvania, Ivy League school in Philadelphia, but his think tank is in Washington, D.C. So tons of questions there. Sounds very Clinton Foundation-esque. How did they find the documents? Why were his lawyers looking through his papers? And then when they found them, why didn't they just put them back? That's what makes me think that there's something more nefarious going on here because this didn't even need to make the news, let alone the slow drip of your classic media propaganda campaign to keep it on the front of everyone's mind. A little bit of Chinese water torture of news. If this was something that the media and the Democrats did not want, we never would have known about it in the first place. And if we did happen to accidentally find out about it, then they would have made it go away by now, just like they do so many other stories. Anyway, they found some at his think tank. Then they found some in his garage at his house next to his Corvette. (laughs) What? Then they found more documents in his home. And then the FBI did a 13-hour search of his home. And they found six more classified documents, some of them dating back to his time as senator, which goes back to 1973. So some of these documents could be 50 years old. (laughs) Senators can only view classified documents from a secure area in the Capitol building or in the intelligence agencies, they can't bring them home. That's not even that's not even a thing you can do. So no one's asking how was that even done? New York Times, government officials can only discuss classified information in emails on a special computer network nicknamed the High Side that has greater defenses against hackers than regular email and can only be accessed in specially secured rooms. So how did he get those documents home at all? There are three levels of classification. You have your confidential, and then above that you have your secret, and then your top secret. The, they're determined because of the disclosure of which, if it's confidential, would cause damage to the national security. If it's secret, it would cause serious damage. And if it's top secret, then if the information was disclosed, it would cause, quote, exceptionally grave damage to the national security who determines what's classified or not classified. There's 671 officials in DC who can determine uh, what is top secret. There's about 3000 people who can determine what is classified. So a little bit of background before we go a little more into Joe Biden, and then we get to the really interesting historical stories and all the rest you throw pens in the mix. Now there are four most recent highest-ranking people in D.C. all mishandled classified documents. You had Hillary Clinton. She had classified documents on her server. Remember that? She said, the fact is I had zero emails that were classified. And then the head of the FBI at the time, Jim Comey, he said from the group of 30,000 emails, 110 were determined by the owning agency to contain classified information at the time they were sent or received? Do you remember when Comey said that? That was at a, a, a press conference he had announcing they were reopening the investigation against Hillary Clinton's emails. This was on October 28th, 2016. That was only 11 days before the election. Unbelievable. Certainly a turning point in the 2016 election. So that was Hillary and her classified documents. Then Trump had classified documents at Mar-a-Lago the first ever raid of a former president's house to get those documents. We were told at the time, oh, we don't know what they are. They could be nuclear secrets. We still don't know what they are. Then Biden has classified documents. And now we just found out that Mike Pence had 12 classified documents. So you had Hillary Clinton, who was the presumptive president of the United States. Uh, I guess her biggest job was uh, secretary of state. You had Joe Biden, who was vice president and president. You had the former president and the former vice president all mishandling classified documents. If you want to keep going conspiratorial with this, you could say that the Mike Pence documents were announced uh, by Biden's team to say, see, everyone's doing it. (laughs) It's not a big deal. Everyone has classified. You probably have classified documents at your house.
1: It is Ryan here and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life.
0: No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. So is it a big deal?
1: I don't know. It is Ryan here and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper?
2: said it would be a shame if we were to only arrest Donald Trump for something as insignificant as mishandling classified documents when he's done so many other illegal and much worse things. This author says getting busted for stolen documents would be a little bit like Al Capone being convicted for tax evasion. Still, a case would send the message that Trump is not above the law. We'll get back to being above the law in a little bit. So that guy's on the left saying that about Trump, but Tucker Carlson the other day, of course Tucker's on the right, he made the same argument about Biden. He said with all the terrible things that Biden's done, this is what's going to take him down? Tucker said Biden is done. And what a missed opportunity this is. If you're looking for crimes that Joe Biden has committed, there's a very long list. One argument that I think is worthy to be made is maybe we over classify things. Maybe every single thing shouldn't be classified. It's been said that records are marked classified three times every second. <laughs> three, what? No. So one, two, three, that's nine classified documents. Dude, we're just created, boom, just like that. That's ridiculous. And then everything that's marked top secret, anything related to it also is marked top secret. It's classified at the same level. The former director of the CIA, Michael Hayden, he said, everything's secret. I mean, I got an email saying Merry Christmas, and it carried a top secret NSA classification marking. I could see the argument for something being classified if it could endanger people's lives who are still alive. But our government has the chance to declassify a lot of things, and they don't. They still don't. Why not? This is from NPR. In the past... Classified records were archived, preserved, and eventually declassified, allowing researchers and history buffs to pore over them for new details about events in the past, such as the Cuban Missile Crisis or the Civil Rights Movement. But in his new book, The Declassification Engine, Connolly makes the case that unless the process is reformed, huge numbers of documents will never be reviewed for declassification. Quote, nobody's ever going to be allowed to see any of the documents now being labeled classified unless some other official decides that information is safe to release to the public. But the method for reviewing these records and releasing them hasn't changed in 80 years, despite the fact that the volume of data has changed. It's still a requirement that officials review every one of these pages page by page. So you have a massive amount of documents being classified without a automatic declassification process. So if anything's ever going to be declassified, it has to be actively declassified. And that's not going to happen. So more and more of what happens in your country is automatically classified. And less and less of that classified information will ever be declassified. More is getting classified and less will ever be declassified. Even well after the people involved are dead and gone. Why does our federal government need to keep these documents forever? When the people involved who we're supposed to keep safe aren't alive anymore so that's and there's more to come surely with all the classified documents biden and all the rest so that's what's going on but what's really going on here we have in dc a lot of lying secrecy and deceit We have a lot of our elites, our superiors, protecting themselves from accountability and elevating themselves above the law. And that's the main focus of the rest of the show today is the idea that these elites believe that they are above the law. What did Hillary Clinton do with these classified documents at the Clinton Foundation? People still donating to the Clinton Foundation, by the way. What was Biden doing with these documents at his Penn think tank? With his son, Hunter. Have you ever heard this interview with Hunter Biden? This is a while ago. Hunter Biden doesn't do interviews
1: anymore. You didn't have any extensive knowledge about natural gas or Ukraine itself, though uh no but i think that i had as much knowledge as anybody else that was on the board if not more in the list that you gave me of the reasons why you're on that board you did not list the fact that you were the son of the of course vice vice president. President. yeah no uh, what uh, role do you think that played i think that it is impossible for me to be on any of the boards that i just mentioned without saying that i'm the son of the vice president of the united states
2: these people are all corrupt they all are above the law montesquieu in the early 1700s, he says, constant experience shows us that every man invested with power is apt to abuse it and to carry his authority as far as it will go. Alexander Hamilton said, men love power. Give all power to the many. They will oppress the few. Give all power to the few and they will oppress the many. Mm, It's a good one. I wish we could get back to the idea of the many oppressing the few meaning our elites those in power those in authority our politicians i wish we could hold them more accountable as opposed to the few oppressing the many and let's take some time to lament that isaiah 123 your princes are rebels and companions of thieves everyone loves a bribe and runs after gifts They do not bring justice to the fatherless, and the widow's cause does not come to them. Our leaders are not doing what's best for the people. They're only looking after themselves. Isaiah 10:1, woe to those. You always got to pay attention when the Bible says woe. Woe to those who decree iniquitous decrees. Iniquitous means grossly unfair, morally wrong. Woe to those who decree morally wrong decrees leads us towards corruption all of us as paul said in romans 7 i do not understand what i do for what i want to do i do not do but what i hate i do he goes on and says it is the sin living in me it's true for all of us and and that's for us trying our best to not be corrupt and do bad things and it happens what about the people who have no shame unfortunately those are the people who tend to get into power the people who are shameless are the ones that win these elections. And they want to be politicians because when they get there, they get even more power and grift and for the rest of their lives. The business of politics attracts the wrong kind of person. What a shame. Okay, let's get to the history. I have such a fun story to share here. It's about corruption and ultimately someone standing up and doing the right thing. So let's go back to the founding of our country first, the Federalist Papers. They are uh, 85 essays written by Alexander Hamilton, James Madison, and John Jay. And they were written to convince people to support the ratification of the Constitution. And they wrote them under the pseudonym Publius. Publius means uh, of the people. It's where we get the word public or popular, right? Publius. But they weren't just writing under a generic Publius. They were referring to a specific publius his full name was publius valerius publicola so who was this guy he was the leader of the people who overthrew the roman monarchy in 509 bc so publius was the leader of the roman revolution well who was publius against exactly what happened why did they overthrow who did they overthrow ah this is where it all gets fun our founders by the way knew this story deeply they knew Publius, Publicola. They knew the tyranny of Lucius Tarquinius Superbus. They knew this. The sixth king of Rome. Now we're going back to ancient Rome. You with me? Ancient Rome, the sixth king of Rome, the rightful king of Rome, was Silvius Tullius. And uh, he was good. He was popular. And he decided to open up one of the voting assemblies to everyone. So anyone could be a member of the Centuriate assembly. But one man hated this because it diminished his family's power. And that's Lucius Tarquinius Superbus. We'll call him Tarquinius from now on. He's the bad guy of the story. So the sixth king, the good king, her, his own daughter married Tarquinius. And they both plotted the murder of her father, her father, his father-in-law. And they did that. And Tarquinius took over as the seventh king of Rome. And he did what all tyrants have always done before and since he purged all the people who were against him. He spied on Roman citizens. He took over the, the judiciary, the judicial branch tried all the capital trials himself. So he was the judge jury and executioner. He seized the land of anyone suspected of of, uh, saying anything against him, just a straight plunder of the people. And he was the tyrant of Rome for 25 years for 25 years. The people did nothing until, One night, there were some soldiers camping outside around a fire, and they were talking about their wives. And one of the men in the group was the son of the tyrant. His name was Sextus Tarquinius. And they were going around the fire, and they were talking about each other's wives, and they came to the wife of one of the soldiers, Colatinus. And they said that she was the greatest beauty of Rome. And Colatinus said, no, no, it's not only her beauty, men her virtues, her kindness, her devotion, her modesty. How romantic. So Sextus, remember, he's the tyrant's son, heard all this. And the next night, he left the camp and went to the house of his friend and fellow soldier. And that soldier's beautiful wife, Lucretia, was there. And she welcomed her husband's friend into her home, cooked him a meal, and gave him a room to stay. As Shakespeare wrote, Save something too much wonder of his eye, which having all, all could not satisfy. He grabbed Lucretia, put a knife to her throat, and said, If you scream, I'll kill you, and I'll kill one of your slaves, and I'll tell everyone that I caught you two sleeping together, and I'll shame your name throughout Rome. The next day, Sextus left, and Lucretia told her husband and father that she needed them right away. And they both went to see her with some friends, including Junius Brutus and Publius Valerius, who we talked about earlier. So she told the men what happened, what the tyrant's son, Sextus, did to her. She then took a knife, stabbed herself in the heart. Brutus pulled the knife from her chest and said, By this blood, most chaste until a prince wronged it. I swear and I take you gods to witness that I will pursue Lucius Tarquinius Superbus, his wicked wife and all his children with sword, with fire, with whatsoever violence I may, and that I will suffer neither them nor any other to be the king in Rome. And they took Lucretia's lifeless body to the marketplace and people started yelling out reasons they hated the king, a list of grievances, if you will. We'll get back to that in a little bit. We'll get to that in a bit. And they rallied the people to take up arms against the king. And the people vowed not only to take out this king, but to never have another king in Rome ever again. They vowed to never accept bribes in exchange for their liberty. And Brutus made every man swear an oath. And the oath said that we promised that no man will rule Rome and that we will not be swayed by the bribes of kings to hand over our liberty they rose up against the king sextus was assassinated the rapist and the tyrant was exiled he returned later twice actually another amazing story which i promise we'll share another day but the point here is that publius and brutus overthrew the last of the monarchy in rome and instituted the roman republic which in many ways our country is modeled after now that's all a great interesting story here's the relevant part to classified documents So Tarquinius is an exile. He hated it, obviously. So he came up with his first scheme to take power back again. There were in Rome a lot of very angry young people who used to have a lot of special favors and privileges when there was a corrupt king, the Hunter Bidens of the time. And they could get away with anything when Tarquinius was king. They could get away with any crime, any rape. They could do whatever they wanted. They didn't like this new Republic of Rome. So from his exile, Tarquinius led a coup through these young people. And these young former princes were able to recruit the two sons of Brutus. Oh, no! Again, Brutus, the founder of the Roman Republic with Publius, he kicked out the king. He led the revolution. He was the first consul in the new republic. He's our George Washington in many ways. And his two sons were part of the plot by the tyrant to overthrow the republic. And restore the monarchy again. Brutus' own two sons. What betrayal. They were caught. Now the law said. That not only should anyone charged with treason be put to death. But it was the council. Who was to try the case. And to hand out the punishment of death. So not only were these two young young men to be put to death. But it was their own father. Who was going to oversee it. He begged his sons to tell him it wasn't true. And everyone was watching to see what the new consul would do. This was a crucial moment, an absolutely critical moment in the Republic. The Repu- Republic would just started. Because the question was, what is greater? The power of a man or the rule of law? If you've gathered nothing so far from this story, because I know there's a lot of Roman names and it's hard to keep track of who's who and whatever. This is it. This was the question early in the Republic. What is of greater significance? What is of greater power? The power of a man, in this case, the consul Brutus, wanting to bail out his two sons for breaking the law. What's greater, the power of a man or the rule of law? The law was clear, but what would the first consul do? Would he act like a tyrant? Would he act like a th- the king? Would he do what clearly the-, the seventh king of Rome would have done, the tyrant would have done? Would he do what he made his supporters pledge to never do, and that is to have a king ever again? But it meant saving his own family. Surely this was different. Or would he follow the law?
1: Hey, this is Vivek Ramaswamy. The media has systematically lied to you. The Hunter Biden laptop story, the origin of COVID-19, the Trump-Russia collusion hoax, or how your money's being spent in Ukraine, enough already with the lies. No more lies, hard truths only. That's what the Truth Podcast is all about. It's not standard conservative talking points. If you want that, go somewhere else. But if you want the hard truth delivered to you in a way that challenges you and will challenge me intellectually, you're not going to find anything like this on the internet. Subscribe to the Truth Podcast today on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.
2: He turned to the men who were to carry out the execution. And he told them, What remains is your duty. The lictors stripped off the clothes of his sons, tied their hands behind their backs, beat them with rods, and Brutus watched it all. The lictors then laid them on the ground and cut off their heads with an axe. And the people were inspired by this because Brutus did not even put his own family above the law. There's a famous painting, it's now in the Louvre in Paris, called the lictors bring to Brutus the bodies of his sons. It's worth a Google. It's by Jacques-Louis David. It took him two years, 1789. And you could see the pain on his wife's face, his daughters, and how pained Brutus was to do this as his headless sons were carried off in the background. But the point is, Brutus never put even his own family above the law. He never put himself or his family above the law because he knew the Republic must survive. And if he chose instead to let this treason go, he knew the Republic would collapse in the hands of the next tyrant who wanted it. What a story. This later leads to a scene that was written about beautifully in the poem called Lays of Ancient Rome. It's by Thomas Macaulay. It's a must-read poem. And we'll do the full story another day. But uh, Tarquinius, who was in exile still, he failed in his first coup attempt with the, the Consul's two sons. So he tried again by recruiting other countries' militaries. And he was successful and they attacked Rome. But the Roman men fought so bravely that the main king, who Tarquilius recruited, said to him, I seek such resolute bravery in the arms of my allies, not in the armies of my enemies. It's like, I expect you to be as brave, you to be this brave, but you're not. Our enemy is that brave. So I'm out of here. So look how profoundly Brutus' leadership inspired the people of Rome to continue to fight in profoundly brave ways for their freedom and for the republic. So let's bring it to today. Are our leaders under or above the law? What would you say? Would you say our leaders are under or above it? Above it, clearly. And what does that inspire in our people? Not a lot. Our founders knew what was at stake. That's why they wrote under his name Publius. And everyone knew what that meant. Everyone knew that that was the man who overthrew the monarchy and instituted the republic. Which then led to Brutus and his amazing decision that no man, even his own sons, are above the law. Our founders knew. Our, founding, our, our colonists, the, the first Americans knew that they were fighting to make a country of, for, and by the people in the spirit of the Roman Republic. Our founders, you know, they had the list of grievances in the Declaration of Independence. list of grievances. Here's two of them. He, the king, has erected a multitude of new offices and sent hither swarms of officers to harass our people and eat out their substance. So it means the king made this massive bureaucracy that harassed people and business owners. Similar today, Another grievance, he has called together legislative bodies at places unusual, uncomfortable, and distant from the depository of their public records. uh uh-huh. So people couldn't look up the public record. Interesting. For the sole purpose of fatiguing them into compliance with his measures. <laughs> so the king wasn't transparent. The king put classified documents on his email server. He did not work for the people. Today, Washington, D.C. is so bureaucratic, so harassing, so massive, And every document is classified, every document is uh, hidden away, distant from the depository of their public record. Literally what we became a country because of. And no way is DC working for the people. It's working for itself. It's working for the bureaucracy's own continued existence and growth. We are a country that is unrecognizable to our founders. You can say this, usually you do the history thing. I'm starting to feel a little better at this point. I'm not right now. So, what are we doing here? All right. How about this? Can we return? Whew. It's going to be hard. But the good news is there are examples in the Bible of cities returning. And I believe we could. And this is the story of Jonah. Now I just want to encourage us all to move past the Sunday school nursery rhyme cartoon painting version of Jonah. It's the same thing with Noah. Whenever we all think Noah, at least I do, I always think of a boat with two giraffes and two elephants sticking out. And it's bright and colorful. That's what we think of Noah. We got to grow up. We're not two years old anymore. Same thing with Jonah. Jonah was a prophet, and God told Jonah. It's a, it's a super short. You got to read. It's like it will take you 10 minutes to reach Jonah. Jonah 1, 2 says, arise. So this is God. Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and call out against it for their evil has come up before me. So Nineveh was a massive city. It was the capital of the Assyrian Empire. Today it's Mosul, Iraq. Crazy, right? But it was the largest city in the world for the longest time. It was this huge, epic, massive, uh, enormous city. So God said, "Go, go, and and uh, they're, they're evil there. So go." And Jonah said, "No way!" And <laughs> he got in a boat and went in the other direction. There's a big storm, and the sailors say, "What's going on? Why is this happening to us? It's because of you." And Jonah's like, "Yeah, it is." And they he's like, "They're like th- he said, throw me overboard, and the storm will go away." So they do. Real quick, that sounds noble, like, "Oh wow, you're really taking one for the team, uh, Jonah." But no, it's not because he still didn't have to go to Nineveh. Like, like he didn't want to go to Nineveh. So he's like, well, just throw me overboard. And I still won't have to go to Nineveh. And also now the sailors are blamed for killing him. So they throw him overboard. The storm stops. And then Jonah gets eaten by the giant fish and he prays. Thank you for not abandoning me, God. And he says, I promise I'll obey you from now on. This is a uh, Jonah two. Then I said, I'm driven away from your sight. Yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. It's like, me, I'll do whatever you say from now on. So the fish spits Jonah back on dry land. So Jonah's like, all right, fine, I'll go. So he goes to Nineveh, gives his sermon. You want to hear the whole sermon? I know we're already a little late here. I think I can fit it in. You ready? Yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. That was it. That was the sermon. Just <laughs> a couple, couple words. What's up with that, Jonah? Where's your effort? How about a little, a little zest, a little gusto? No? Yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. He didn't go into any details about what they were doing that was so evil. He didn't talk about what the destruction would look like. He didn't even say it was God who was going to do the destruction. Weird, right? So even though he did nothing, the evil pagans of Nineveh repented. Jonah 3.5, and the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast, put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. And then it goes on to talk about that king is ordering everyone to do the same thing and repent of their ways. Unbelievable. In the last chapter, after God does not destroy Nineveh, Jonah gets mad at God. Why would you show mercy to these terrible evil people? And Jonah says, I want to die. So God saved him, and then Jonah wanted to die again, and then God saved him again. But the point is, you are a sinner. You are one of you were one of God's enemies, and God loved you. Romans 5:8. God shows his love for us, and that while we were still sinners, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. Much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. But the key is, while we were still sinners, while we were enemies, he saved you. So I bring this up because God saved Nineveh, at least for a while. Now this word from Jonah's sermon, Yet 40 days and Nineveh will be overthrown. The last word overthrown, the Hebrew word has a a more rich connotation. It means overthrow, but it also means to turn, to be reversed, to transform or to transform oneself. Hmm. This is what we all need for ourselves and for our country. So this is very interesting with Jonah. Jonah said, yet 40 days and Nineveh will be overthrown. He meant overthrown, like God will destroy you. But what really happened with Nineveh is it was transformed. They repented. They reversed, which is the same word. <laughs> that's right. So he meant the connotation of you're going to be destroyed. But what really happened was they were transformed. And that's what I want for this country, to be transformed. I pray this for our country. To go back to the Federalist Papers, Federalist Paper number one, they said the important publius... So the important question is whether societies of men are really capable or not of establishing good government from reflection and choice or whether they're forever destined to depend for their political constitutions on accident and force. Are we going to be dependent on the Tarquiniuses of the world, the tyrants of the world that just take us over? Or, or, or the bureaucracy of D.C. just to take us over by accident or force? Or are we going to establish a good government and maintain a good government on reflection and choice? What is truly best? What kind of people are we? That was the fundamental question from our founders. What kind of people are we? What kind of government will we create? They answered it. The question for us is what kind of government will we maintain? And will this nation repent? And will we take our leaders who are now above the law? Will we put them back under it? And will we place God on top of it all. So what's in my control? First, uh, think about classified documents and all the rest. Don't get caught up in scandals. (laughs) Don't don't do stupid scandalous things. The temptation can be great depending on what job you have, right? But don't do it. You're gonna get destroyed eventually. It will tear you down. Eventually it will come crashing down. It's working great for you now. It will come crashing down. Titus 3.9 says, avoid foolish controversies. (laughs) This is interesting, genealogies. Avoid foolish genealogies. What does that mean? Uh, that's like bragging or lying about your pedigree or your ancestry uh, to make you seem better. Like, I'm oh, I'm the son of the vice president. That's, that's a good one. Uh, avoid foolish controversies, genealogies, dissensions, and quarrels about the law, for they are unprofitable and worthless. As for a person who stirs up division after warning him once and then twice, have nothing more to do with him. Knowing that such a person is warped and sinful, he is self-condemned. So just avoid it. Avoid it yourself and avoid people who do it. Galatians 6, 8, for the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption, but the one who sows to the spirit will from the spirit reap eternal life. That's what we're looking for. Second thing, so avoid all that uh, corruption. Just avoid it in your life. Get away from it and get away from people who do it. Second thing we can do is let's give people in D.C. as little power over our lives as possible. We need to return to home rule, government as local as possible. That's what Benjamin Franklin, Thomas Jefferson, all of our founders were fighting for. They knew that the best government is the government that governs least. And Jefferson said it is in the township, the township, the town, local government, that the strength of a free people resides. We need our government as local as possible. And then third thing, we got to do in our lives the opposite of what the corrupt people in D.C. do. Right? They're not accountable. They never admit mistakes and they never course correct. So we need to do the opposite. We need to be accountable in everything we do. We need to admit our mistakes when we make them and we need to course correct. Seems simple, right? Although it's very difficult. I'll give you a quick example. Uh, the shooting recently, the um, it's in Los, Los Angeles, 11 people were, were killed uh, by this murderer and right away, everyone came out, all, a bunch of Democrats came out and said, oh, it's uh, anti-Asian hate crime. And then they found out that it was a 72-year-old Asian guy who did it and it was like a... Uh, jealousy domestic thing with an ex-wife or whatever and they 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 stuck with it <laughs> like they, they they stuck with the anti-asian hate crime it's like the least anti-asian hate crime ever committed by another asian can you can even be an anti-asian hate crime if it's committed by an asian so they never kept themselves accountable they never admitted like oops got a little ahead of ourselves there sorry about that and they never course correct they just doubled down on it like that these people are the worst so let's be the opposite of all that what's in our control Avoid corruption and scandals and and people who are caught up with that stuff because it just get away from it. Second, give to D.C. as little power as possible. And we need to be the opposite of what we hate in D.C. We need to be accountable, admit our mistakes, and course correct. Final thought so we can all go to sleep tonight. Proverbs 29.2. When the righteous increase, the people rejoice. But when the wicked rule... The people groan. I don't want to be groaning anymore. I want to rejoice. So what do we do? The righteous need to increase. That's why I'm grateful you're here. SlaterRadio at gmail.com. SlaterRadio at gmail.com. As my ninth grade history teacher said, Mrs. Pingle, uh Comments, questions, requests for clarification. SlaterRadio at gmail.com. Have a wonderful night. Get to sleep. Politics by faith.